0: There's a, there's a verse we're going um, to use to speak from this morning. It's uh, We're continuing this theme of Ephesians, and uh, I'm sure we could continue it for the next five years. <laughs> so it's Ephesians 2, verse 10, and, it, and it's, it's a very simple verse, and the verse says this. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's like three, there's like three parts to that uh, verse. You know, the, the first part is this, for we are his workmanship. Uh, the second part is this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And the third part is this, that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's, uh, it's not good enough for us just to have information, or to receive a revelation, there's something we have to walk in, and um, and the apostle Paul he um, he uses this term walk. When you read his epistles, uh, this word walk will appear quite a few times. But if you only look at uh, if you only look at <laughs> yes, Lord. <laughs> but if you look at if you look at um, the book of Ephesians. This term walk occurs quite a few times. Um, he encourages us to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us. He encourages us to walk in love. Well, that's really important as well. He encourages us to walk in unity. And he encourages us to walk in um, wisdom. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, the fourth one. So, he, so, so obviously our Christian walk should be one of where we are knowing our purpose and walking in the things that God has prepared for us. It should be one where we are walking in love, where we know this love of God that cannot be known. It should be one where we are walking in unity with one another and with the Holy Ghost and with what God is doing in us and in great wisdom. So, um, Four really difficult things to do. <laughs> a couple of weeks, uh, a couple of weeks ago, about uh, six, eight weeks ago, we had a prophetic word as a church, and uh, the prophetic word was given to us uh, as a group of people, as a church, but also individually. You know, everything, everything that God speaks, yeah, don't just uh, say, "Well, I wish everybody else would get their act together," and, and actually take notice of this word, but just take it personally and say, "Okay, God was speaking." To me, what, what am I required to do? And um, the, the prophetic word, um, if I just paraphrase it, it, it was this. Um, God says that in this season that we're in as a church, um, if you take a step, if you take one step towards me in this season, <laughs> I, like, I like the phrase that was used. Uh, God said, I will build a bridge towards you. Isn't that amazing? You know, we 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 think God is like, you do this, I'll do that. You know, that's us, that's me. They're very often said to the kids when they were growing up. Now, if you do this, I'll do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you behave yourself, you get an ice cream. If you if you do this, you get a rabbit. <laughs> it's like this for that. But God is always. On the opposites of what we expect, and he, and he said in that prophetic word, "If you will take in this season in this day of how, how many of you know that the opportunity of a lifetime I like this quote there 's lots of quotes I like but the opportunity of a lifetime is only for the lifetime of the opportunity you you have to you have to go for something when there's a, an opportunity, when there's something you can grasp. Not, not everything it stays open for everything, you know? The, the opportunity of a lifetime is only for the lifetime of the opportunity. And God said, if you will take a step towards me in this season, I will build a bridge towards you. It sounds like a, a great promise. And I want to be really practical in, in what we share today. We've been looking at um, the book of Ephesians for probably two months or more. And uh, I know that every week you go away and you sort of, you study it and, and you're in it and you're constantly digging. Is that you? Is that you? Am, I ta- am I talking to anybody? <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, um, it can be a very difficult book to understand. Um, you know, um, the Apostle Paul is talking very often about concepts that are very difficult, and um, you know, very often he's talking about mysteries and he says they're mysteries and he, uh, he encourages us to uh, be seated in heavenly places, and we all say well how do we do that, you know and, and we try and look at that stuff how, how is it we do, we have to do our everyday life, and we're encouraged to sit in these heavenly places and understand who we are in Christ uh, and then he talks about, um, you know, I'm praying that you would know the love of God, which cannot possibly be known. Uh, it's so deep, it's so wide, it's so long, it's so, you know, it's, it's, just, it, it's infinite. It goes on, and he says, but I'm praying that you'll get it. <laughs> you need to put your hand on your head and say, I'm praying I get it as well. <laughs> I'm praying, well, this, is, this has to be a revelation that, that comes to you. And then he, then he says, uh, you know, I'm praying that you will know the peace of God. That passes all understanding. And <laughs> uh, he, he, he talks about mysteries. The mystery of the incarnation. Christ in human form. God loving us. Christ in us. Christ in, These are all mysteries. Uh, you know, he says, uh, the mystery of this love of God. The mystery of this uh, peace of God that passes all understanding. The, the men were like this one. He said that all of these things were mysteries. But he said marriage is a profound mystery. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I like that one. I, we could just preach on that one. <laughs> uh, but he does qualify it and say, but I'm not speaking only of marriage, but I'm speaking of Christ and his church. And so there is, there is so much in this that really, we really need to meditate on these things. The, the art of meditation, the art of going away and chewing stuff, you know, if you want to get the most out of your food, you really have to chew it. And the most important thing you have to do is you have to. <laughs> Was it something I said? <laughs> Did the anointing just go off me? <laughs> the most important thing, the most important thing you have to do with your food is you have to swallow, swallow it. <laughs> yeah. And if you'll put the word of God in your mouth, that's one thing. But if you'll swallow it, it'll do you some good. And it will end up being part of who you really are. So, there are some very difficult concepts. And even, even the Apostle Peter said of Paul, uh, in Peter's second epistle, chapter 3, verse 16, he says, our brother Paul says things that are hard to understand. So if the Apostle Peter can't get it, you're okay. You're okay. But, but press on because you, you really have to press in and look. And the, the Apostle Paul doesn't want the Ephesian church. The, you have to see his heart as he writes this letter. He doesn't want the Ephesian church just to be a bunch of religious people. He doesn't just want them to be go to church on Sunday, turn up Wednesday, come to a prayer meeting. He, he doesn't want that for them. He really wants them to discover who they are. And what God has called them to be. And, and he doesn't just want them to discover it. He wants them to walk. Walk in it. it. There has to be a stepping out at some point. Where you step out into everything that God has got for you. Um, if there's anything you take away from what I say today. I really, want you to, I really want to say something very simple to you. And that it is. Why don't you determine today. That you'll take a step that you'll take a step towards God in a new way. I ask God, what, what is it that I need to step out in? What, what is it that I need to do, you know, to, to get out of this comfortable zone that I'm in, where, where, I, where, where no change has happened, but, but now I'm ready to, to go and to step into something new without knowing, without knowing what the next step is. Amen? I think that's a good prayer. I think it's a good prayer. Okay, okay. So I got, um, I got four things I want to say. And the first thing is this. Um, the first thing is, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us. There are three things in that first point. And the th- this is what I want to say about those three things. You have to believe them. You have to believe that this is talking about you. Yeah. You have to believe that when God says these things, when these words are mentioned, this is not about the person next to you or the speaker or the pastors or any of the leaders of the church or anybody else. You must say, I totally believe what God says about me. I am his workmanship. That's difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, we look at other people and in, in this like social media type world, we're constantly comparing ourselves to somebody else. I look at Steve and, and Claire, you know, on the, the piano and Simon and all the musicians and I wish I could play like them. But that's not what I'm called to do. But I wish I could do it. <laughs> and I see a lot of gifting in people. And I think I wish, I wish I could do that. But I have to connect with the things that God has called me to do. When God created Adam and Eve and his creation, he stood back and he said these words. I've done a really good job. <laughs> it's, it's good. And you have to hear God speak these words over you. Listen to me. You have to hear God speak. Stop looking at that person next to you. Stop looking at that person in front of you. you. You need to hear these words over you. When God created you, God said, oh, it's so good. I like this. I did a good job when I created this person. Could you believe that? Nobody, okay <laughs> okay, well I go to my next point <laughs> i'm trying to, i 'm trying to make you think and i 'm t- trying to be provocative because we can all believe it for somebody else, but we cannot believe it for ourselves because we think there is something I must work on. Well, if you think you can improve on what God has done that 's an incredibly Arrogant—that's the word I was looking for. That's an incredibly arrogant way to think, because God made you as you are. Wow, God, God made you as you are, and he, He's very happy with that. And, and the second thing in that first thought is this: that you were created for purpose. You may be beautiful. Say to the person next to you, say you're beautiful. Yeah, okay. But say this to them. But say, but that's not your purpose. <laughs> and, that, and there's a truth in there. You know, the sun rises beautiful. And we all like to take a photograph of it. And we all appreciate it. And we say, oh, it's so beautiful. <laughs> but... But that's not its purpose. Right. It has a purpose why God made it. And it fulfills that purpose for us every day. And, and God has a purpose for you. And he has a work that he has put inside of you. Uh, which was prepared before the world began. That's the third thing I want to say about this. About this is that, that God prepared all of this before one of your days came to be. So you don't have to perform, and you don't have to make something up, and you don't have to be something. You have to become who you are. That's a really deep thought. That, I was with um, a young pastor in. Uh, I was, no, I was with. It, yeah, I was. I was with a young pastor in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Uh, his name is what's his name? Bobby. sorry, Bobby. Yeah, Pastor Bobby. Pastor Bobby's in his like mid twenties. And Pastor Bobby, um, he'd been, he'd been he's just a young man, you know, uh, looking after, he'd been looking after a church um, for the previous two years because, you know, the pastor wasn't there any longer. And uh, he, he wasn't recognized as the pastor, but he'd been given the responsibility and the role of, look, of looking after it and doing it full-time as a job. And we visited him in his second year, and uh, we went out for a walk in the park with him, and we stood under trees, and uh, I said to him, So, so Bobby, what's your, what, what do you want? What is it that you want? How do you see yourself? He said, Victor, I would really, really, really like to become a pastor. I said, Bobby, do you see this tree? We stood under this really big tree. I said, it's not trying to be a tree. It is a tree. That's right. It's always been a tree. Ever since it was a little seed. It's just become who it is. It's just become who it is. and uh, You don't have to try hard. You just have to recognize that God has deposited something within you before you were born. Yeah. And let it out. Yeah. I, I heard somebody preaching on Genesis once. Uh, you know and you uh, you know, where, you know that verse where God said to Adam, uh, you know, well, you know, go and multiply and fill the earth and be fruitful. And uh, he didn't say it that way. And I, <laughs> I searched for these words for, for months before I realized what he was talking about. He said, and God said to Adam, go and be who you are. Go and be who you are. <laughs> and I looked for that. I thought, God never said that to Adam, did he? I was looking for it for ages. And I thought, Oh, what God said was, go and reproduce who you are. Be yourself. Fill the planet with people just like you. There's something very liberating that if we, can, if we can understand that God has made us, and if we can understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives that we could discover, and if we can discover that God did all of that before he made the world. Now, if you want to know who you are, don't ask me. Because I'll just make something up. Now, now if, you want to know, if you want to know what an iPhone's all about, you better be in touch with Apple. You better be in touch with a manufacturer. And if you want to know what God has called you to do, and what his plan is for you. And what his purpose is for your life. You're going to have to ask God the big questions. You're going to have to say, God, okay, it's me <laughs> again. I got something I need to ask you. When I was in your thinking, what were you thinking about? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. some people say yeah what were you thinking about <laughs> what were you thinking about uh, how did you imagine me how did you imagine me and what, what what was in your heart for me because I want to be that fruitful servant of yours you have, you'll have to ask him God's not intimidated by the big questions by the way you know God said to Jeremiah I think it's Jeremiah 33 God said to him call unto me Jeremiah call unto me. Ask me the big questions. Ask me, and I will speak to you, and I will tell you things that you could never discover in a million years of reading or discovery. I'll give you revelation. Just put your hand on your head. Father, every person in this place every person in this place. May they ask you the big questions and come and shock them and give them a revelation of who you are and what you've called them to be. Amen. Okay, second point. God has prepared good works for us and he's prepared them beforehand. He's got something prepared for you to do. And, and, and it's important that we define what good works are, right? Because right now you're all thinking... Maybe I should volunteer to work in the shop, you know, in in town. Or maybe I should, what, what you know, what is it I should do, you know? And Jesus, very often, you know, for years, I always thought, you know, what God wants me to do is He wants me to speak, you know, His message to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Saul on the Damascus Road. Uh, but, he was, I always thought I only had a message. But, uh, but then Jesus speaks to the disciples in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says these words to them. He says, So let your light shine. Oh, on cue. So, so let your light shine. Is, that, is, is somebody flicking them on with what I say? So let, so let your light shine. Let your light shine. See, the, the people may see something. Oh, we always thought people needed to hear something. They needed to hear that they were bad, that they were condemned, that they were on their way to hell, and that they were in need of judgment, and God was going to come and kill them tonight if they didn't, you know. <laughs> I see that hand, brother. <laughs> we, we always thought that. But Jesus said, let people see your light that they may see your good works. That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There are people that don't believe in God. There are people that don't know who Jesus is. But when they see you, they get their chance to see Jesus. When they see you, they get their chance to believe. When you touch them, they feel the touch of Jesus. Oh. I, Liz and I went to pray for a lady. A, we were having a coffee in Argentina, and um, with a friend of ours. And our friend said, uh, "She said, before we part company, could we go and pray for a friend of mine? She's really she's suffering quite badly." Uh, with her nerves, with anxiety, with all sorts of stuff. Life's not going well for her. She's not a Christian, but she's open. I, I think she'd let you pray for her. So we said, yeah, okay. So immediately when the coffee was over, we had to go to her workplace. She ran a gymnasium. and uh, We went to the gymnasium, and we, we, we were introduced to her. And, uh, and we said, can we pray for you? And she said, I've got two minutes. I can give you two minutes. But, but I'm up for it. I'm open for it. So um, she stood there in front of us, and I said, Can I, can I put my hand on your head? Is that, is that fine? Can I pray, put my hand on your head and pray for you? She said, Yes. Uh, Liz and I stood there, and we put our hands on our head, and we said, Lord, reveal yourself to this lady. That was it. That was it. Amen. I took my hand away. I said, Okay, we're done. She's crying. She's crying, 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 crying. I said, did you feel something? She said, yeah, I did. I felt it. So, okay, we're off. We're gone. And we left. And we didn't see her till the next year. And the next year, we visited our friend again. And this lady came and visited the house. She'd given her life to Jesus. Life had changed. She prayed for us. <laughs> she came and laid her hands on us and prayed for us. See, it's not, it's not a big deal. It really isn't a big deal. We can, we, can, we can be involved in these works, in these things that God has called us to, and it's very, very straightforward. So God has prepared... Oh, I was going to define good works. Time's going to go. <laughs> when you look at good works in Scripture, it's, it's really broad. It's really broad. That's <laughs> really broad. Then, it's Kevin or somebody at the back screaming with me, messing with me. <laughs> it's really broad, and uh, and it, it's so broad, right? That I'll take you to an obscure verse. In, do you like obscure verses in scripture? Yes. Okay, we're gonna go to uh, Timothy. It's um, let me find it. Okay, it's one Timothy. Five verse nine one Timothy, five verse nine it 's very interesting because um, Paul is speaking to Timothy. And he's given him instruction how to help different people in the church and, and who should be supported and, and the best way of helping different people, young men, old men, you know, uh, uh, widows in the church. And uh, here's, what he, here's the advice that he gives to Timothy about the, the widows in the church who are under the age of uh, 60. And he says this. Verse, verse 9. Do not let a widow under 60 years be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported, for good works. And if she has brought up children, anybody here brought up children? Yeah, yeah you qualify. Yeah, God's going to give you a big medal when he sees you. Gold. With your name on it. <laughs> not really, Mark. Really. <laughs> uh, uh, who has brought up children... If she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, is there Is there anything there you couldn't do apart from washing someone's feet? Is there, is there anything you couldn't do? you could You could help somebody who's in need, yeah. You could raise your children in such a way that people would look at you and say, you're amazing, you know? In a time when families are all over the place, you've raised these kids and they're, they're a credit to you. You could, you could help somebody that had a need, somebody that was poor in spirit, that wasn't able to do something. You could get behind them and help them in some way. You could do all these like simple things these people, she just washed the feet of people who had been out on the road and washed the dirt off them and made them comfortable. and she took strangers into our house and, and you know gave them hospitality. It's like it's all something that we can do. I, I want to say this to you: that what God has called you to do, not me, what God has called you to do, is not difficult. But you have to decide that you're going to do it. It's not difficult. It's not too difficult. In Deuteronomy, I think it's Deuteronomy 30, um, the children of Israel are stood in front of two mountains, and Moses is pointing to the mountains, and he says, "Today, God's commanding you to obey him and to walk in his ways and to walk in his ways." And he continues to say that he says, "If he says, I want to tell you something," God says to his people, "What I'm calling you to do today." is not too difficult. It's not beyond you. I love this. He uses the word mysterious. He says it's not too mysterious. It's not beyond you. It's not in heaven so that you have to reach for it. But it is inside of you. It is inside of you. It's in your mouth and on your tongue... You see, the ability, everything that God has for you is inside of you. God has done it. It's inside of you. Jesus, uh, John chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus um, walks along the road and comes across a man who's blind. And he's been blind from birth. And the disciples ask the dull questions, you know, you read the Gospels, the disciples are always asking stupid questions. That's okay. God can put up with you asking daft questions, you know, as long as you can take his short answers. And, and the, the disciples say to Jesus, well, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, no, <laughs> neither, <laughs> neither. <laughs> but that the works of God may be manifest. Have you, you ever seen somebody that needs something? Have you ever seen somebody who's poor? Have you ever seen somebody who's needy? Have you ever seen somebody that you could meet their need? And have you ever thought to yourself, the works of God could be manifest in this person. If I would stretch my hand towards them, if I would bless them, God could be manifested in his works and my light could shine. And people could see that I really was Jesus on the earth. Jesus then said these words I must work the works that the Father has put for me to do. Say those words. Say, I must. Say, I must. Say, I must. Say no, Victor, I must. Come, no, come on, come okay, on, listen, come on, come on. I, I want to lead you, I want to lead you into a place where you're going to be judged if you don't do it. <laughs> wow, wow. There's, like a, there's like a big angel at the back of the church with a with and paper. He's ticking names. He said, I saw Mark nod his head, I saw it. <laughs> he say, I must, I must work the works. I must work the works that the Father has prepared for me to do. When Jesus was 12 years old, you know, he went missing for those couple of days. His parents eventually caught up with him. He's speaking in the synagogue. He's only 12 years old. He's speaking with all the, you know, the, the, the rabbis and the teachers. And, and, uh, and, and his parents say, Jesus, you're really naughty. Well, yeah, they did. Yeah, so where have you been? Like, imagine saying that to Jesus. And Jesus said, don't you know? I have to be about my father's business. I must. I'm... We don't get this imperative. We really don't get it. I must. The older you get, the more this becomes an imperative. Today, for me, in my 60s, it's not so imperative as it will be on It's not so imperative as it will be on Wednesday when I'm in my 70s. <laughs> I must go on holidays. <laughs> I need. Jesus, I need to go through Samaria. I need. Why did he need? Because he needed to meet somebody, because a village needed saving, because, because the works of God had to be done. It's there it's all through this once you begin to see this stuff it's it's all the way through scripture um I like the law of first mention. you know what the law of first mention is? Oh, come on, you're all bible student the 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 law of first mention is is really simple. It's the very first place in the Bible that you see this thing, so like if you were thinking of um worship, you know uh, we all think we know what worship is. And, uh, you know, and worship can be many things. It can be a list of songs. It can be, well, you know, we can just, I could just carry on and speak about worship for an hour. But, but we, we all think we know what worship is. But when, when you go to the very first place in Scripture where worship is mentioned, where would that be? Any, any ideas? Okay, I'll tell you. It's when Abraham sacrificed Isaac. That's the first place you see worship. And Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And he's on his way to kill his son and to offer his son as a sacrifice. You know, very often you, you come into the doors, you think, I don't feel like this. I have had a terrible week. Well, read that scripture. <laughs> because it's connected to sacrifice. There's a place where we can come and give God everything. And lay it down as this act of worship. Well, the very first place you see good works, it's in a place you'd never expect it. We're going to read it for a moment. It's in 1 Samuel 19 verse 4. 1 Samuel 19 verse 4. And 1 Samuel 19, verse 4, says this. Uh, Jonathan is speaking to King Saul, who wants to kill, da- wants to kill David. And Jonathan is really uh, trying to persuade him out of that. And Jonathan says these words. Then Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good towards you. For he took his life in his hands and killed the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. It's the very first place in the Bible, in, in the New King James Version anyway, that you'll see very good works. Killing a giant is a good work, healing the sick is a good work. Doing miracles is a good work. Washing someone's feet and humbling yourself and helping the poor in spirit and helping the people who really need is a really, really good work. Is there something there you could do out of all those things? Is some, maybe it's like the fighting the giants, yeah? <laughs> maybe it's the washing of the feet. Not for me. I prefer to fight the giants. <laughs> Maybe it's, maybe it's whatever comes across your path, like Jesus said. And you, and you say there, there will come a day. Let me prophesy this over you. Oh, here we go. I declare there will come a day in the not-too-distant future that you'll come across a need that only you can meet. And you will know in that moment that this need is there. <laughs> so that the works of God can be worked. And if you will engage yourself in the task, and if you'll say to yourself, I must work the works, then your light will shine. And men and women will give thanks to God for you. Yeah? Okay. I got 15 minutes. I got 15 minutes. I get to my next point. <laughs> okay prepared. the third point is this that God prepared all of these things in advance I'm going to make this really quick God prepared everything that you are that you are to become, that you are to do God prepared in advance you cannot qualify for it because it's in you think about that you cannot become it or make yourself become it because it's who you really are it's who you really are. So I take an acorn, I hide it in my hand, I hold it up, and I say to you, what do I have in my hand? Sorry? An acorn. Or if you're a visionary, you'd say, Victor, what you have is potential. Because if you take the acorn and you put it in a place where it can be nurtured and where it can be fed... It can become something. It has the potential to become. You have the potential to become. In the right environment. You, I say, but what do I really have in my hand? Oh, you say, oh, now, now that you say potential. I say, oak tree. Yeah, that's right. Oak tree. But that's not speaking highly enough of the acorn. Because the acorn has the ability to... Reproduce itself. What I'm holding is not just potential. It's not just an acorn. It's not just an oak tree. It's a... Coffee table. Oh, nice. coffee table. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's a forest. It's a sailing ship. It's a coffee table. It's, it can become anything in the hands of the Creator. The God who created the acorn created you. And he put all of that destiny inside of you. It's there. You're not waiting to be recognized. You're not waiting for a badge. You're not waiting to be sent. You're not waiting to be called. God's waiting for you to become who you are. When you're happy with who you are. Yeah? Amen. Okay, last point. Close my Bible. No more scriptures, no more verses. I want to make it really practical for you because we were talking at the beginning about taking first steps. And, um, you know, that leads to the question, well, what happens if I take the first step? I have no idea. I have no idea. I, and you, you know, everything in the kingdom of God works by faith. You, you have to take a step. When you take the step, you know, when you take the step, God opens up another step. When you take another step, God gives you the next step. God keeps building these bridges towards you, and he keeps coming towards you. You know, um, so 1997 was a big year for Liz and I, because we'd been Christians like for like a hundred years and uh, didn't good. know who we were. <laughs> we didn't know who we were. We didn't know what we were to do. And I didn't really care either. <clears throat> i got to be honest with you, I was very happy not knowing who I was, uh, just going to church, helping out where I could, doing what I could, and then I had this really strong rebuke of a lovely man of God, uh, and it changed the way it, it unseated me. It was like um, an earthquake under my spiritual foundations, and it changed. And in December of 1997, Liz and I came to a decision. Um, you know, there's an ancient Chinese proverb which says this. You know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. One step. Uh, a famous Welsh philosopher added to that and said that prior to that one step there has to be one decision. Because you can't take a step without a decision. You know who that philosopher was? Me. Me. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> no, it's true. You, uh, you can't take a step without taking a decision. And, and I'm asking you to take a decision. I'm asking you to decide that we are going to take a step and not knowing where that leads, but believing that God will show us as we take the step. That's what Abraham did. God called to him and said, Abraham, come out. Abraham went forth not knowing where he was going. That's the truth. And that's what God is calling us to do as well. Well, we took that one step. And for us, the one step was Liz always wanted to go. It was our wedding anniversary coming up. Liz always wanted to go somewhere really, really hot and to lie on a nice warm beach and drink tequilas and oh. sit under... I don't, even, I don't even know what a tequila is. <laughs> I, thought a, I thought it was an electric car until last week. <laughs> oh, that's a Tesla, sorry. <laughs> she always wanted to do this. And when we took this decision, we landed up in Canada. Canada, yes. Toronto, Canada, yeah. January 1998. And they were having their coldest year for a long time. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, the ice was hanging off the overhead wires. The snow plows were out. And we were celebrating our anniversary in a Christian revival at the Toronto Airport Church. And uh, I, we, we were just saying, God, we're lost. <laughs> we don't know. We're taking one step, but we really don't know what we're doing. Uh, what are we doing here? I don't know. We spent a lot of money to get here and stay for a week. And, uh, anyway, in the toilets in that church, did you know God can speak to you anywhere? In the toilets in that church, that week, I was washing my hands in between one of the meetings. And, funny about that. and a man stood next to me, and he had a northern accent. He was from Dudley, and his name was Trevor Baker. Ever, anybody ever heard of Trevor Baker? Yeah. Trevor Baker from Dudley. Uh, and, and we got talking just as I was washing my hands. And where are you from and what do you do? And I said, we're here and we don't know what we're doing. But uh, we, we know God's got a call on our lives and so we're going for it. And he said, well, if you believe that, I'm taking a team to India next January. Do you want to come? I said, yes. Yes. That's, that's the next step. We'll, we'll do it. And I persuaded 14 people to come with me to Calcutta the following January, one year later. It was like real revenge on the church for all the hardships they'd put me through. I took 14 people to Calcutta when we arrived in Calcutta. Oh my goodness, if you've ever been to India, well, go to the Goa, but don't go to Calcutta. Because we, we were in Calcutta, and Calcutta, you know, the accommodation really wasn't five-star. It wasn't any star, really. Um, after, the first, after the first night, we had to change the accommodation, because in a room that should have only had two people, there were like 50 or 60 other occupants under the bed. And, <laughs> and that was my first taste of India and Calcutta, and it just continued to get better, because the church were feeding us and the church were feeding us. They were doing, bless them, they were doing, we did a, a conference for leaders. The church would it feeding us. They were cooking all the food in metal buckets, as you do. And um, it was curry and um, it looked like it was still alive when they fed it to us. It was being cooked in mustard seed oil. If you've ever smelt mustard oil, it's repugnant. And every time, every time the dinner bell went my stomach also did a leap for joy <laughs> as I smelt the mustard seed. And it was served out of metal buckets onto metal plates that somebody had eaten off before me because they didn't wash the plates. And we all ate with our hands. And after three days of that, I became very spiritual and started fasting <laughs> until we found an American bakery Later that week, and we out there for the rest of the time we were in India. And I swore blind I would never go back to India ever again. But on the team in India, there was a man with us from Alaska, and he was on his first mission trip, and his name was Steve Tolliver, pastor of a church in Alaska. And when we parted company that week, Steve Tolliver said to me, uh, he said, "Well, Victor." If ever, if ever you're in Alaska, you know, it's the center of the universe, come and see us. And I said, Steve, it's been great seeing you this week. And if ever you're in Wales, come and see us. But it's never going to happen. <laughs> you know, I, I really it was just pleasantries and being polite. And I thought I'd never ever see him again. And we left. And we parted company. And I returned to Wales. And three months later, he and his family were in our home in, in Pontypool. Three months later, and that was 1998. And, in, and from that moment onwards, we went to visit Steve Tolliver in Alaska every January, and have continued up until last year, so over 20 years, every year. And every year, for about 15 years, he visited us in Wales. Anyway, I was preaching one of his meetings in Alaska in 2003, and after I finished preaching, somebody walked up to me and said, I really enjoyed you today. When you were preaching, the strangest thing happened. I said, what was that? He said, I could see you preaching in Indonesia. This is 2003, just four years after we took this decision. And I said, yeah, I could see that. I really could. I was wide open. I was wide open for God to do something with me. And he said to me, well, why don't you go? So I laughed. I said, "Well, I will." He said, "Well, when are you going?" I said, "Well, when I've saved the money." <laughs> when I've saved the money, he said, "Let's short circuit this whole thing. I'll buy your ticket. When are you going?" He did. He bought my airfare to Indonesia. I said, "I'll go next month." And I went the following month. I did. I was re. I was really. I was up for it. I was up. You know, whatever's the next step, I'll go. And I went to Indonesia the next month and uh, went and toured Indonesia with a friend of mine who had a ministry there. And when we were in Indonesia, I asked God every day for 10 days, what am I doing here? Is this a holiday? <laughs> Are you showing me something? What? What's this all about? You know, you've got to ask God these questions. And God never spoke back to me. On our last meeting a lady in the church we were in walked up to me with an envelope and said, I've been praying about you. God's really been speaking to me about you. I said, well, thank you very much. That God said to give you this. And I took what I thought was a prophetic word or a prayer from that in an envelope and I stuffed it in my pocket. I said, thank you very much. I thought, what a precious soul, you know, somebody that prays for you, somebody who's thinking about you, somebody who's diligent enough to write down a prophetic word. And I went back to the hotel, and just before I go into bed that night, I, I felt that, I felt that envelope in my pocket, and I thought, I'll read this before I go to sleep. And so I took it out of my pocket, opened it up, and it was $1,000 in $100 notes, and when I seen it, I knew what it was. It was the return airfare for Liz to accompany me back to Indonesia in three months' time. And we used $1,000. We, and we went to Indonesia. As a result of that one woman's listening to God, we went back to Indonesia for the next 19, 20 years and still travel there. Are you... Willing to take a step? You're not answering me. <laughs> you, 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 listen, you've got to think out loud and say something. <laughs> Are you willing to take a step? Yeah. It, what God has put in front of you is not too difficult. He's not calling you to go to India. Listen, I'm not expecting you to go to China or Indonesia or to do anything that's too difficult. All I'm saying is if God was to put a good work in front of you this week, would you say, I must do the works of him that sent me? Amen.